I've gotten a lot of questions over the past few months about restaurant openings, and so I wanted to dedicate an entire episode to covering the subject. Now, there's a lot that goes into an opening, and so we certainly can't get to everything, but having opened eight or nine properties over the course of my career, I'd like to think that I've learned a thing or two about how to do it successfully. So today, we'll cover both marketing and operations. We'll lay out a blueprint for how to think about the entire thing, and then I'm going to give you some tips and takeaways you can use right away, right now, if you're about to open your own restaurant. Tons of information on this one. I promise you don't want to miss it. There's an old saying goes something like this. You'll only find three kinds of people in the world. Those who see, those who will never see, and those who can see when shown. This is Restaurant Strategy, a marketing podcast for anyone who's looking. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. My name is Chip Close and this is Restaurant Strategy a weekly podcast all about helping chefs and operators build more profitable restaurants. Each week, we toggle back and forth between a monologue-style format and an interview, but the goal is always the same, to take some of these complicated concepts and make them both understandable and actionable. Why? Because like I always say, information is only as valuable as the action it inspires. Now, This week's episode is sponsored by Virtual Restaurant Group, VRG. They offer innovative, turnkey, delivery-only brands that you're able to easily operate out of your existing restaurant with very little disruption to your current operation. So we're talking ghost kitchens, right? A restaurant that would only be visible on third-party delivery sites as a way of driving additional revenue using the infrastructure you've already got. By adding virtual restaurant brands into your business model, you're able to diversify your revenue streams and generate more overall revenue. You already have a kitchen, right? You've got a staff. You've got the space to do it. Why not maximize your square footage by adding additional brands to help you increase your bottom line? Best of all, VRG handles everything on the back end. They provide Cubo technology totally free. The very architecture of this software allows you to turn on as many brands as you want, list those brands on as many partner sites as you want, and field all of the orders through one singular tablet and printer. You're not locked into any long contracts, and it's 100% free to start. VRG's flagship brand, Midnight Munchies, was one of LA's very first ghost kitchen concepts and generated up to $30,000 a month just in online ordering revenue. Onboarding is super easy with recipe guides and step-by-step training for you and for your staff. Visit virtualrestaurantgroup.com chip and use the promo code CHIP2021, that's C-H-I-P, 2021 to get started. That link, of course, is in the show notes. Now, today we're talking all about restaurant openings, right? Uh, We're just coming out of this uh, global pandemic. We know there are a lot of second gen spaces available. Uh, We know that a lot of operators or or would be operators have been sitting on the sidelines. So uh, chefs and restaurant owners or aspiring chefs and restaurant owners were sitting on the sidelines waiting, seeing this as their opportunity uh, to jump into the deep end. And uh, as spaces became available, they are jumping on those spaces. So a lot of people are just getting, uh, just getting involved with their very first uh, property, the very first property they're going to own. 
Likewise, there are other uh, restaurant owners out there or groups uh, who have been watching uh, second-gen spaces as well. And as they come up, they've been taking the opportunity to expand their operations, right? To add uh, another location or, or multiple locations or to uh, to start a totally new concept altogether, you know, under their, uh, their group's umbrella, right? So we know this. A lot of restaurants closed during the pandemic and a lot more are going to open. Likewise, over the next... I'll say six to 12 months, a lot more restaurants are going to close and a lot more restaurants are going to take over their spaces and open. Restaurants open all the time. It is something uh, that we all have to uh, be aware of. If you want to be in the restaurant industry at some point or another, you are going to have to open your own restaurant. Now, if you've been following this show for a while, um, a lot of this is going to uh, is going to sound familiar. A lot of the things I talk about, like the ABCDs of marketing and the triangle principle and and on and on and on, those things are the the, the building blocks for, for what we do uh, marketing restaurants. So when we talk about a restaurant opening, I'm first going to go back and remind you of some of those things because those are really, really important. I'm going to give you a framework with one, two, three, four five, six, seven, eight, nine different areas, right? Think of it like a blueprint. All of the things, these nine areas that I think you're gonna wanna think about as you go to open uh, your first property or to open a new property. Now, even if you are an experienced restaurateur, even if you've been doing this for a while, hopefully uh, you'll listen to this with uh, with open eyes, open ears, uh, and you'll come at it with a, with a bit of humility. Um, even if you just get one or two things out of this, uh, I, I hope that that's, uh, that that's worth your time. And if you've never opened your own restaurant, if this is something you're considering, uh, I really do hope that this, uh, that this helps kind of get you on the right track. Uh, like I said at the very beginning, there's a lot that's involved with a restaurant opening. I can't possibly cover all of it in a single episode. I wouldn't want to, so I'm not even going to try. But I am going to tell you the things that I think you need to think about. And I think... Uh, it's really important to make sure we map out the mindset that's required uh, and the ways of approaching and thinking about a restaurant opening. Because I've done, I don't know, eight or nine at this point, and, uh, and and there is a way to come into it, and there is a way to not come into it. So first and foremost, right, you got to figure out, will it fly? You've got to validate your idea, or or rather, you've got to come up with an idea and then figure out if there's uh, if there's market fit, right? So uh, this idea of validation is really important. Uh, I talk about this a lot when uh, we talk about competition. When I again, when I talk about those ABCDs of marketing, but you got to do your market research, right? So you got to understand uh, your market, whether that's uh, your block, uh, whether that's the neighborhood, whether that's the city, and you got to think about what kind of thing you want to do. The question I'm asked all the time, uh, and if if you remember back, uh, I don't know, a couple months ago, I sat down with my good friend and colleague, a guy named Christopher Tana, uh, and he opens a ton of restaurants as well. He's done even more than I have. Um, but I asked him on that episode, um, which one do you think, uh, you know, the chicken or the egg, which one comes first? Do you find a great space and then uh, come up with a concept to fit that space? Or do you come up with a concept and then search and search and search for the right space for the concept? And he said, you know, there's no right or wrong answer. He thinks that you, oh, you need to have... Um, a concept in mind or a couple of concepts in mind. And so that's the thing I'm going to recommend, right? If you say, I really want to open a restaurant, I think there's an opportunity, there's a uh, there's a movement, I think there's going to be uh, an appetite, uh, no pun intended, for this thing, I would keep a couple of things in the back of your head, right? So I've got this concept in my mind, I've got this concept, and I've got this concept, right? So maybe it's two or three that you just, that you walk around the city with, right? So as you're looking at different spaces, you're going to walk in, you're going to say, 
is idea one, two, or three right for this space? Which one would make sense in this space? Um, and again, this has to do with market research. You've got to look at what already exists. You got to look at the demographic, the population in that area, and you've got to make sure you're doing that thing that we talk about, you know, the, the fundamentals of marketing, right? The whole idea of marketing is that you're solving problems, is that you identify a problem and then you craft a solution to that problem. The restaurants that fail are the ones where a chef or an operator uh, goes into it and says, well, this is what I want to do and this thing's going to do really well. I know it is. People, people really want this. And they go and they present it to the world and it doesn't do well and they don't move. They don't evolve. They don't, they don't shift their thinking, right? Better, rather than coming in with a fully formed idea, right, doing that, that field of dreams effect where you, uh, where you say, you know, if you build it, they will come. If I build it, surely they will come. And uh, I've said this before, but no, they won't. Because we all have restaurants that we know, like, and trust. We've already got our favorite sports bar. We've got a, already got our favorite steakhouse. We've already got our favorite sushi place. I don't need another one. I've already got the stuff I love. So if you're going to come up with something, you better give me, uh, me the consumer, a compelling reason to switch, to switch from a brand I know, to switch from a brand I love, um, to, to, uh, to forego the restaurant, the dining room I love, the, the people that I know, and come to yours instead. You've got to give a really, really compelling reason for that. So when I talk about this idea of validation and doing your market research, first and foremost, you've got to find a problem that needs solving, right? So I use the idea of the, I use the example of the pizza place, right? So I look in my neighborhood and I say, hey, there's no good pizza place here. Uh, I think there's, uh, I think there's an opportunity to open a pizza place, right? Uh, right or wrong, you've got to seek that out and you've got to make sure you are right. If you're going to say, I think this neighborhood needs a pizza place, you better be sure and that's true with a steakhouse. That's true with the seafood restaurant. That's true with any concept you come up with. You got to look at your market and say, what is the problem they need solved? And can I solve it? Or what's the problem uh, that this audience needs solved? And does one of these concepts that I have in my head solve one of those problems? Because if you can be the answer to someone's prayers, you will be packed all day, every day, lines down the street, uh, a wait list that's two hours long. If you can solve somebody's problem, uh, you will um, you will be successful. That is um, that's uh, indis indisputable. So, will it fly? Validation. You got to figure out. You got to do your market research. You got to figure out who's in that area. What kind of places they go to. What kind of places they don't go to. What kind of places they need. Um, do they travel outside of their area? And would they rather something something that they travel for? They would rather in their backyard. Um, or is there something they're missing? You've got to do that research. Next, though, the other piece of this validation is you got to figure out if you can make the numbers work. So here I'm going to talk about pro formas, right? I'm going to talk about restaurant budgets. Um, full disclosure, you, the link is in the show notes, but on my website, on the Restaurant Strategy Podcast website, so restri, uh, restaurantstrategypodcast.com, you click the, uh, the navigation bar that says template. You will be able to purchase for $50 my restaurant budget. I call it the only restaurant budget you'll ever need. It is six interconnected uh, spreadsheets. It's all built in Excel and it's a template and you can use it to track uh, income expenses, uh, opening uh, opening expenses. You can do, um, you can figure out uh, your, your break even points. You can, uh, you can look at how many covers you need to do at how much, uh, how many dollars uh, to hit a certain uh, weekly, uh, weekly revenue, right? So, 
you have to, if you know how to build a pro forma, then go. By all means, just build a budget and, and run the numbers. If you don't, if you've never done this, right? A lot of people uh, do this for the business uh, plan. They, they just, they build, uh, they build a pro forma that, that looks like it works and they submit it and then they promptly forget about it. They never revisit it. But you got to revisit your budgeting at least, I don't know, quarterly, um, but at the very least once a year. You've got to look uh, you got to look over your numbers and make sure that what you were planning for, what you um, what you assumed would happen, is actually the thing that's happening. So, you need to build a pro forma. Pro forma is uh, uh, is is a budget, right? That where you're you're making guesses about how much business you're going to do, how much expenses are going to cost, and all this. Obviously, you don't want to guess. You want to try and fill this document in with uh, as many correct numbers as you can. So that you can see, will it fly? Will it actually be profitable? Will it generate? Uh, will it generate enough revenue to cover uh, the expenses? You know, is this a worthwhile pursuit? So many restaurant owners skip this step, or fudge the numbers, or make the numbers work for the business plan, so you can get the the loan, or you can get the investors, or whatever. But you are not doing yourself any favors by um, by by tweaking the numbers to make them work. If you know how to build a pro forma, build one, use it, and use it over and over and over again. If you don't have one and you need one, please go get mine. It's $50. It's laughably cheap. Uh, you will be able to use it time and time and time again. Uh, every quarter, you'll be able to use it for all different um, all different concepts out there. Uh, listen, it's it's one I've used for, for more than 10 years now. I believe in it. I love it. I still use it when I go to open uh, when I go to open properties, it's really, really useful. You've got to be able to run the numbers and see if it works, right? If you're if you're in a neighborhood where you're only going to be able to charge, I don't know, twenty dollars an entree, and you've got a huge, you know, you've got a huge fixed expenses like like big rent to pay for, and or you know, you you're going to have huge weekly, uh, you know, payroll costs. Well, then you're going to have to do that many more covers at $20 a head uh, to pay those bills. You know, likewise, if you can charge 50 or 70 or $120 a head, you're going to be able to uh, you're going to be able to sign a, a different kind of lease. So before you look at spaces, you've got to know what your numbers are, right? You've got to know, well, with this kind of concept, I would be willing to pay this many dollars in rent. For this concept with a higher price point, well, I would be willing to go up to this price for monthly rent. You've got to figure that out. This is all part of that ideal of uh, validation, right? And there's creativity involved in here too. The beauty part is you're going to come up with a couple different concepts and you're going to figure out about how much it's going to cost to run them and about how much revenue you think you're going to be able to generate. Uh, and this is this is largely fun, creative work. Hopefully, you come up with a couple of concepts and you run them, you put them through the pro forma, and you go, oh, I don't think that uh, this concept will ever work. I don't think it's, uh, I don't think it's financially viable. So okay, you know that. So if you come in with four and you come out with only two concepts uh, that you think make sense, at least then you know. So you go in to spaces uh, knowing what you're looking for. Well, it needs to have this many seats. It needs to have this much outdoor space. It needs to, you know, uh, be under this amount uh, for monthly rent. Uh, and don't budge off that. If you uh, if you go beyond that and you inch your fixed costs up too high, um, it's going to be a real 
real problems. So again, the first step here uh, is validation. You got to do your market research and see if the uh, the concepts you've got, the concepts you want to do uh, will fly, if it's even going to work in this neighborhood, in this city, in, in this market. And then you got to see if it's financially uh, viable. You got to run the pro forma and you've got to see if it works. Again, link is in the show notes. If you don't have your own pro forma, if you don't have a template you use, if you don't know how to build one, it's fine. I have one available. Please go to my website and take advantage of it. That's step one. Step two then, right? Then yes, you do need to decide on a concept and a location. And just like I said a couple of minutes ago, right? Christopher Tunna was saying, you know, do you come up with a concept or the location first? And he said, you got to have uh, some concepts in your back pocket so that when you go look at different uh, venues, when you go look at different spaces, you can say, well, would uh, which of the two concepts I have in mind would do well here? Which of the three concepts I think would succeed here, right? So then you are going to need to uh, to decide on on spaces, right? So there's this old um, there's this old way of uh, of building a restaurant budget, and uh, it's it's both true and not true at the same time. I'm going to share it with you because because I love this, right? So there's this idea of the 30 30 20 10 rule, right? Which is that your expenses should be as such, where um, food cost is about thirty percent. Your labor cost is about 30%. Your beverage cost is about 20%. And your fixed cost, your fixed monthly expenses should be about 10% of your total revenue. If you do the math, 30 plus 30 is 60, plus another 20 is 80, plus 10% in fixed cost, that's 90. That's your path to double-digit profit margins at the end of the year. If you can do that, you will succeed. Now, of course, there are ways to shave those down more. If you can do uh, 25% food cost, 25% labor, 20% beverage, then you've got a little bit of wiggle room there uh, to play with your fixed cost. But man, if it was me, I would try to get my fixed costs to 10% of the overall revenue that I'm trying to drive. That's your best chance at getting double-digit profit margins at the end of the year. So how do you do that? You've got to, again, go back to that pro forma and you've got to build it out in a way that, uh, in a way that makes sense, uh, in a way that's going to get you to profitability. Don't just go for your break even, figure out a way to get it to profitability. Again, 30, 30, 20, 10, that's the rule of thumb that you should go for. Uh, and of course you can tweak those numbers. If you can go 25, 25, 20, 15, that's also going to build you towards a, towards a profitable restaurant. So keep that in mind as you're looking on your concept, uh, as you're, as you're looking for space, your location, and you're working on concepts, uh, you know, thinking about a concept, think of those things in mind. Don't try to jam a square peg into a round hole. Now, step three here is I want you to think about diversifying your revenue streams. Now, if you've been listening for a while, you know, I've been talking about this the entire uh, pandemic, right? If there's anything we learned over the course of the pandemic is how dangerous it was to only make our money one way. If we made our money simply when people came in and dined and then paid us for what they ate and then left, uh, you, you were pretty much screwed when the pandemic hit uh, because when people could no longer dine out, when restaurants were forced closed, there was no other way to make money. So any new restaurant opening, you have to think about diversifying your revenue streams in whatever way that means, right? So, okay, number one, you're going to make money when people come in and dine with you. Number two, maybe you're going to make money from takeout and delivery. And P.S., it doesn't have to be the same concept, right? The sponsor of this show, one of the sponsors on today's episode is the Virtual Restaurant Group. They are a brand 
a company that has several different ghost kitchen concepts. There's nothing to say that you can't create your own ghost kitchen concept or work with a company like Virtual Restaurant Group uh, to borrow their brand, to utilize their brand, and to execute it out of your kitchen. So if you're running a pizza place, right, a you know, really good Neapolitan-style pizza place, and that pizza does not travel well, does not box well, uh, and make the 20-minute uh, you know, bike ride uh, up the street, then don't do it. Don't, don't do it. Figure out something that can be executed more successfully out of your kitchen. So if you make your, uh, your money when people come in and sit and dine with you, great. That's number one. Number two, takeout and delivery, whatever that means. And this is the beauty of Ghost Kitchens right now. Virtual restaurant group, right? What they're doing. Um, absolutely uh, worth uh, not only considering but pursuing. Absolutely crucial. Right, then think about some retail arm, right? Think about uh, private dining. If you've got a private dining space, that should be an entire uh, arm, a whole sales division uh, just focused on filling that room day and night. Um, Offsite catering, another key piece, a great way to make money if that fits your concept or if you can execute something like that. It can be high-end catering. It can be low-end, you know, you know, trays with sternos underneath. It, it can be a lot of different things. But right now, right there, we've identified four different revenue streams. What about a fifth revenue stream? Can you do uh, any sort of education component, right? Um, th there are on and on and on. But before you open up, before you go anywhere, you got to figure out about diversifying your revenue streams. What are all the possible ways I can drive revenue in this space? Think about that. Get really clear about that. Of course, that's connected to the pro forma. You got to figure out, you know, what kind of revenue can you expect to drive here? Uh, and that will de define how much you're willing to pay for that space. So before you do anything, before you build up the space, before you uh, reach out to architects or designers or, or line up your managers or whatever, you need to think about diversifying your revenue streams because uh, that will uh, inform how you build the space out, how you maybe you got to divide the space out, right? Maybe you need more than one kitchen, right? Maybe you need a private dining kitchen uh, just to serve that, that PDR space. Maybe you need a commissary, right? Because if you're going to be doing a lot of takeout and delivery, if you're going to uh, be doing uh, retail items, if you're going to package, you know, breads or chocolates, or maybe you need a commissary, a prep kitchen uh, where you can really uh, work on these things. So before you start designing away this space, you got to figure out what you need the space to do, right? Think about the functionality of the space equally or, or before you start thinking about the aesthetics of the space, right? So there you go. One, two, three. Number four is I want to urge you to use a critical path. So I learned this from this guy, Christopher Tona. Again, he was uh, on this show a couple of months ago, and I've opened uh, several restaurants with him. Uh, and he's the one uh, who taught me how to build a critical path and use a critical path. So now, what is a critical path? It is uh, a spreadsheet, an Excel spreadsheet that lays out every single line is what needs to happen and when it needs to happen. It's all in chronological order from the top of the document all the way down to the bottom. The last, last line of the document is doors open, we welcome guests in. So how can you get, what are all the things you need to do to get to that point? The beauty of this is that you're gonna be able to work backwards, right? Like we wanna open on this night, okay? So then when do you need to do your soft opening, right? When do you need to do your, um, friends and family? When do you need to start um, training your staff? You're going to work backwards, right? So if you need to start, uh, you need to open on this date, well, that means that two weeks uh, before that, 
you've got to start doing your soft opening. And a week before that, you're going to have to do friends and family. And two weeks before that is when uh, your training is going to start. And so uh, about two to four weeks before that is when you're going to have to start interviewing people uh, and making offers to people, which means that you got to place the ad about a month before that. You work it all backwards, and each item has a line in the document. And you're going to do this with every single aspect of the uh, of the construction of the build out of the permits the certifications the the staffing everything when you are coordinating so many different areas of the the restaurant so many different departments right between uh culinary department you know back of the house and then front of the house uh, and then the beverage team and then the construction team uh and then and then design team and then uh, dealing with i mean certainly here in new york city you've got to uh, get approvals from um, uh, the health department from the department of buildings from fdny there, there are lots of different certifications right you need your uh, your liquor license before you can place an order uh, with any liquor companies you need to prove that you've got your liquor license well the liquor license right now uh, they're really backed up, right? So you need to plan out. When do you need to start ordering wine by? And then you got to work backwards and say, well, how long is it going to take uh, to get my liquor license? And then, so this is how you build a critical path. Again, you start today is day zero, and then you work all the way until when you need to open and you lay out every single thing that needs to happen. Before you do this piece of construction, you need to get this approval from the Department of Buildings. Well, that's important to know. Before you have, uh, I don't know, the gas turned on, you've got to have these departments come and check it out. Before gas gets turned on, the uh, kitchen's got to get installed. Before the kitchen can get installed, flooring's got to get installed. Before the tables arrive, you've got to get the floor laid down and polished uh, and sanded and whatever else needs to happen. Before the walls can get painted, the floor needs to be done, right? Before the t everything has an order to it. And when there's so much to coordinate and organize, you need one document. This document is called a critical path. You have to build this out. If you as the operator is not going to build it out, you better have somebody on your team who can build it out and manage it for you. If, if you have never opened a restaurant before, I promise you, you are going to love me for telling you to do this critical path. If you don't know how to build one, uh, reach out. Chip at chipclose.com, C-H-I-P-K-L-O-S-E.com. Uh, the ones I have are proprietary uh, They're they're because uh, they've got lots of sensitive information uh, and it wouldn't be valuable if I just gave it to you. I, I can build the, uh, I can I can build you a template, but it's, it's kind of uh, useless. You need to kind of build this yourself, but I'm happy to walk you through it and explain to you uh, how to do it for your particular restaurant. So, Again, before you do anything else, I want you to build this document and you're going to add to it every single day and you're going to cross things off where you're going to highlight things that are done as they get done as you go along. This is going to help keep you organized. So again, building a critical path. Now, we're going to continue on with the rest of these items, but first, a word from another one of our sponsors. Whether you realize it or not, your website is the most powerful marketing tool at your disposal, right? It's where people go to learn who you are, where you're located, when you're open, and of course, to see the food you serve. So then why would you rely on PDF menus and static text to sell food? Our culture is visual, and people these days want to see what they're getting, right? We eat with our eyes. Enter Pop Menu a website design platform that puts the menu at the heart of everything. PopMenu's dynamic menu technology serves high-quality photos and allows guests to like and review dishes that they love that will then live on that dish's webpage on the site. These features 
all feed into your restaurant's SEO results to help you rank higher in relevant searches. What's more, PopMenu's automated marketing tools keep guests engaged long after their purchase. You can send automated texts and emails to incentivize new orders and promote new dishes, events, and specials. PopMenu keeps restaurants top of mind with guests. If you're a restaurant owner, you need a great website that not only looks beautiful, but helps drive more traffic and sales. Use Pop Menu to take your business to the next level. Best of all, listeners of this show can lock in one set monthly rate for life and get $100 off their first month. Go to popmenu.com slash restaurant strategy to claim this offer. Again, that's $100 off your first month by visiting popmenu.com slash restaurant strategy. As always, that link is in the show notes. Now, when we're talking about uh, opening a restaurant, building out a restaurant, uh, I told you there are nine different areas I want to cover. The first one was validation, understanding will this idea fly? Is it is it financially viable? Right. Then you need to decide on a, a concept and a location. These are these are crucial, and they go hand in hand with that idea of validation. Next, I urged you to diversify your revenue streams and really think about this before you bring anyone else on, before you engage designers or architects or or start lining up managers, right? You need to figure out how you can make money from this space and, and, and you need to come up with that before you start designing out the space. Uh, and then the last thing we talked about was about building a critical path, a single document that lays out every single thing you need to do in order. This needs to happen before this can happen. This needs to happen before this can happen. Super important. That critical path uh, is going to uh, to guide you in a way that, that no other document can. It's going to help keep you organized uh, and, and on track. Uh, it's going to be able to, um, you're going to be able to look at that and see whether uh, you're on track uh, or, or you're, if you're delayed. Uh, and that's going to help you uh, better talk to your GC, whoever the architects are, and all of that. So then as we go on, the next pieces of this, and they all kind of happen um, together, right? Construction and design, or should say design and construction. And then permits and certification, and then your menu development and staffing. And by staffing, I mean paperwork, right? Getting all of that stuff in. So all of this stuff is going to happen kind of at the same time, right? You're going to engage an architect um, and or a design firm uh, to help design the space, build out the space, figuring out uh, what you're going to do if you're going to renovate it, if you're gutting it, if you're building it out from scratch. Um, You're going to have to get a timeline and, uh, you know, and a a cost, right? An estimate of what all this work is going to do. You're going to have to figure out what permits and certifications are required. Uh, This is one of those things. So I was saying in the very beginning of the show that uh, I can't possibly uh, tell you every little aspect uh, of opening a restaurant because there's just way too much to cover. This is one of those things, right? Permits and certification are different uh, from city to city, from state to state, from country to country. There are uh, there are people listening into this show from, uh, I don't know, 56 countries, I think, all around the world. And so uh, it changes. It's different uh, in depending on your uh, it's different depending on your municipality. Right. So here in New York City, it's a nightmare. There are, there are tons of things that we have to do here that maybe people in Long Island don't have to do or Jersey, you know, just across the river. Um so it changes. You need to do your homework, obviously. Uh, there are consultants. There are uh, there are people who have been 
down this path before. There are other operators. I suggest if this is your first time opening your own restaurant, that you look for mentors, that you befriend other people who have been down this path before, right? When you engage an architect or a construction firm, uh, they might be able to help you as well. Hopefully, uh, you're going to be working with people who are used to designing restaurants, uh, who are used to working on restaurants. They will be an invaluable resource in telling you what, uh, what you need to think about at pointing out things that you might not have considered before that, right? So those things are going to happen at the same time. Um, you're going to start developing your menu because as you're starting to build out, then you're going to have your chef uh, in place or maybe you yourself are a chef. You're going to be thinking about that, right? So while your restaurant's being built, you're in a test kitchen or you're in your own kitchen uh, starting to work out recipes, starting to figure out what this menu might be, what what might it want to be, what, are your, what does your audience want, how can you solve their problem. That's going to happen at the same time. And then what you're going to need to do is start getting all of your paperwork in line. So training packets and applications and employee handbooks and service manuals and then all of those little things, right? Um, Pre-purchase forms and time off requests and on and on and on and on. Now, again, if this is your first restaurant, if you don't have a group, if you don't have an infrastructure, uh, there are companies you can hire, right? There are there are HR companies, uh, specifically HR companies that work uh, with uh, restaurants. You can hire them uh, to help gather all this stuff for you, to build some of this paperwork for you. Because uh, some of the stuff, like in an employee handbook, uh, there's there are legal pieces uh, to that that you need, right? You need to uh, know what your minimum wage is. You need to know what the tip credit is. You need to know what um, what the overtime policy is in your state or in your city. Uh, so all that stuff, it, there, there's a lot of attention that needs to be paid to that. But that's also stuff you're going to start getting together, right? You're also going to start sourcing uh, uh, flatware, uh, plates, glassware, uh, smallwares, right? And you're going to have to start putting all of that together because uh, you're going to have to know, again, you're going to go back to your critical path and say, we're going to start uh, serving here. We're going to start training then two weeks before that. Um, the the glassware company we're going to work with uh, has a four-week lead time because the thing comes from, uh, the, these pieces come from overseas. So our drop-dead date, we need to place our order by this date. That's going to help you figure out your cash flow as well, right? We're going to order it by here, uh, which means if they're a net 30, we need to pay the bill. We need to pay that invoice by this date. So that critical path also helps you understand your cash flow a little bit better, uh, which is a lot to manage when, when so much money is going out the window in a restaurant opening. So again, construction and design, menu development, staffing, the permits and certifications, and all of your ordering. All of this stuff is going to be coming together all together. Again, um, flatware, plates, silver, smallwares, glassware, uh, pots, pans, uh, your dishwasher, your uh, your you know your ice machine. These are probably going to be rented. I would assume. All of that stuff is going to have to happen all at once, right? You have to start thinking about uniforms, uh, staff uniforms. What are they going to wear? What sort of lead time is required on those pieces? All of that is going to be done in this section. This is why I was talking about a critical path. There is so much to coordinate. What's got to be done by when? What has to be ordered in order to arrive when it needs to be? What permits and certifications do I need to pass in order to be able to let my construction crew in, in order to turn on the gas? When, what do I need to turn on the gas because I need my cooks and my chefs to get it in at a certain point? There's a lot to coordinate. And if you don't stay organized, it's going to be overwhelming. And the process is already overwhelming enough. Don't handicap yourself any further. So again, that's the next piece. After that, Right. This is where the, the restaurant's now coming together. It's pretty much uh, going to be ready to go. 
And you got to start talking about hiring, training, uh, friends and family, and cruising towards opening. This is a big piece to any restaurant opening because it deals with the people, right? So who gets hired first and then who gets hired second and third and fourth and when do they come on and, and, and how do we make that happening? This is going to be, as you come to the end of that previous section, right, that, that previous time period of, uh, of building out all your, your paperwork and the, and, the, and the dining room and all of that, then you're going to have to start thinking about hiring, right? So hopefully by now, again, you've done your pro forma and you know about how much money, how much revenue you can expect to bring on, and you understand what sort of payroll burden you can take. You got to understand what sort of management structure you need. What, what kind of personnel are you going to require? Uh, how many servers are you going to need every night? How many cooks are you going to need every night? How many dishwashers? How many? On and on and on. You got to think about all that. You got to start putting together job descriptions, and you got to start placing ads, right? And it's a difficult time right now with uh, with finding staff, uh, but it will get easier. It will ease over the next six to 12 months. And so um, that doesn't change the fact uh, that you need to find staff and you need to start figuring this out. So the first step of this is figuring out what do you think you're going to need. And then you got to put together job descriptions and place the ads and start gathering resumes and then start interviewing people. Now, I've talked on previous episodes about that, so I'm not going to spend too much time. I also spent a lot of time on this on the private podcast. Uh, for those of you who uh, who don't know, uh, we have a Patreon community. If you, uh, if you support us, even just at $5, you get access to that private podcast. It's called The Daily Special. Each episode, right, they come out Monday through Friday. They're five minutes each. And I spent an entire week talking about training, staffing, managing, uh, hiring, the interview process, all of that. Uh, really great content on that other podcast. If you're not a Patreon subscriber, uh, I would invite you to become one. Uh, community is really incredible. Uh, really great content uh, there on that daily podcast. Uh, I'm really proud of it. I'm really happy, uh, really excited about that stuff. But I'm not going to spend too much time talking about that here because I've talked about it in other places. But you got to come up with a, a cohesive plan for that. Now, this is the way I like to do training for any sort of like full service restaurant. So if you're opening a pizza place or a takeout joint or wh whatever that is, this might not apply to you. Uh, but I always like two weeks of training because you're not going to train eight hours a day, seven days a week uh, because people are still going to be working their other jobs, right? If they've taken a job with you, they're still going to be finishing up that other job because they're not really making enough money while they're training to be able to leave that job yet. So they're going to be working at night and you're going to have to do training during the day. So you're going to train with them from, let's say, 11 to 2 or 11 to 3 every single day. Uh, and this is specifically, I guess, for front of the house staff. Uh, your back of the house is a little bit easier because their hourly is their hourly. So um, they might be able or willing to leave their previous jobs to come join you. Uh, so oftentimes back of the house will have larger training days uh, during the uh, during that training period uh, where they're learning how to set up their meats and do prep and you know tinkering with recipes and all of that. Um, but then for the front of the house, you're going to work with them like three hours a day or four hours a day. This is a super important period of time. If you're going to train five days a week for, let's say, three hours each of those days, that's 15 hours in week one and 15 hours in week two. You've got to be really deliberate with your time and figure out what uh, you got to figure out what needs to be done. What do you need to teach them to get them from where they are when they arrive to where you need them to be on opening night? Right, super important. So uh, you got to go through uh, service standards, and maybe there's uh, wine training and and food tastings, and maybe uh, cocktail tastings, and 
all of the and mock service and you, you need them to memorize and and learn about the menu and maybe you got to quiz them and, and test them throughout whatever it is you need to map this out and you got to come up with a plan for every single day what are you going to do to get them from where they are to where you need them to be that's that training period and again for front of the house you you got to think in terms of a two-week training process because you're only doing a couple hours each day back of the house maybe it can only be uh, a week because you got longer days but uh, to be honest usually uh back of the house uh, the cooks and the chefs are in there uh, long before uh you know a week or two before uh the front of the house staff but there's some tinkering but that's what i like to do i like to do two weeks of training then friends and family. So friends and family are mock services where you're inviting literally friends and family of the restaurant. So the owner's going to invite their friends, the chef, some of the managers, right? Uh, some of your regulars, some of your neighbors in in the uh, you know in the area. You're going to invite them in for a friendly meal. So you're not going to pack the place. If you got a hundred seat restaurant, you're maybe going to have forty covers that first night, right? So friends and family. I've seen it work where it's like three nights or five, three to five nights. That seems to be the sweet spot. Anything less than that, and it's difficult to learn from the process. Anything more than that, and it just gets tedious and kind of repetitive, uh, and you're and you're just giving away all this food, and it can be really cumbersome uh, on your expenses, especially at the, this crucial opening period. So I would say three, four, or five nights of friends and family meals. And the idea is that the first night you would only do 40 covers, let's say. Again, assuming you got a 100-seat restaurant. The second night, maybe you would have uh, 60 or 80 covers, and maybe the third night you'd have 100 or 110. Maybe by the fourth night, let's say you're only going to do four nights. Maybe by the fourth night, you're doing a second seating, right? So if it's a 100-seat restaurant, maybe you're doing uh, 60 covers in the early part of the night and then another 60 or 70 covers in the later part of the night. So you can get people in the routine of uh, taking care of a table, closing them out, flipping the table, and resetting for another uh, diner coming in. That's that's not a bad muscle to start working. So friends and family, I've found works best if it's three, four, or five nights. Um, you don't have to do your entire menu, but over the course of those three, four, or five nights, I think your cooks should be practicing, uh, should have a chance to cook everything on the menu so that after friends and family then you would put out your full menu sometimes in friends and family we'll pull the premium items off we won't we won't serve those we won't offer those up for free because it would just be too expensive to do so um and then other times uh, you know we put uh, we put rules on it so when i've opened um oftentimes i will uh, give them a little questionnaire at the end and i say you know in exchange for this free meal um i'd like some feedback and they're very specific questions maybe five to eight questions um, where you get feedback about their experience, about the service, about the food, about the beverage program, whatever it is. Um, And the other rule I always apply to it is that if it's a four top, I just ask that they order all different things, right? So I don't need people getting like two soups and two steaks. Like that does me no good because I need my kitchen um, to practice cooking a lot of different things, picking up four different dishes all at once uh, is is really valuable. So the reason we do friends and family, number one, first and foremost, is to give the the, um, the staff some live training, right? A, a chance to really uh, put into practice everything they've uh, they've learned um, during the training period. And then number two, you know that secondary uh, goal is that we um, uh, is that we get some feedback uh, before we go into uh, before we go into live service where we're charging money. Now, The next piece to an opening period would be the soft opening, right? Do not do a grand opening. There is no grand opening with flags and banners and spotlights out front. It's not like you're closed one day and open the next. You've got to do a soft opening. There are a lot of moving parts in a restaurant. We are a people 
heavy industry, right? People, uh, people are our staff, people are our guests, people are our purveyors. There's a lot that can go wrong with so many different uh, moving pieces. So give yourself a chance to learn. You've done friends and family and you've slowly eased the covers up higher and higher and higher. For the soft opening, I want you to take it back down again because it kind of resets. Once people are paying for it, they're gonna look more harshly on the product. They really wanna make sure it's good especially if they're paying for it. If you get a free meal like they do in friends and family, eh, I'm willing to overlook some stuff. Ah, the food took a little longer. Ah, the drinks kind of watered down. The, you know, the, the wine's not really cold enough. They're willing to kind of look the other way because, hey, it's a free meal. Like, let, let's, you know, let's just let them, you know, get their feet under them. But when you've got paying customers in there, um, you need to have your, your A game on. So, on a soft opening, again, if you've got a 100-seat restaurant, I would go back down again to 40 or 50 covers on that first night. Open slowly. And don't take a bunch of walk-ins. Don't try to push the staff uh, beyond what they're capable of doing. Better for you to say, no, I'm so sorry. We're just taking it easy because it's soft. Tell them it's a soft opening. This week, we're just starting off really slow to make sure uh, that we get our feet under. You know, I'm so sorry. We just don't have the room right now. Please come back next week. Can I make a reservation for you over the weekend? Can I make a reservation for you next week? Please come back and visit us. We just need a couple of days to get our feet under us. So again, over the course of the soft opening, let's say over the course of two, two weeks, you're going to go from... 40 or 50 covers in that 100-seat restaurant to 200 covers on the books, which we'll say is is full blast. That's a busy, crazy night. So you're going to do 40, and then the next night you're going to do 60, and the next night you're going to do 80, and then 100, and then 120. You know what I mean? You're going to slowly add covers to the book every single night. You're slowly going to um, you know, stretch the staff into what they're going to do. That's the best way I've seen to do this. Two weeks of training three, four, or five nights of uh, friends and family services. And then I say soft opening, two weeks uh, to get from uh, from a really closed, narrow book to a book that's wide open. Now, the last three pieces, right, is now we're, now we're open, right? Now we've, got, we've gotten to opening, right? So opening night is that soft opening. That's what we consider opening night. The first time we ring the register, the first time we've got paying customers. That's when your PR push starts. It, it, there's a chance it starts beforehand, you know, a little bit beforehand to get people uh, excited about it, depending what market you're in. But that's when your PR push starts. Now, let's talk about PR a little bit. Uh, so you'll remember a couple of months back, I had Stephen Hall on here. He's a friend and colleague. Uh, he's the uh, head. He's the owner of, uh, of Hall PR. And um, he gave a lot of really uh, good insights into that. If you didn't listen to that uh, that episode, uh, please, I would urge you to go listen to it. He's uh, really entertaining and really smart, and I think he gave a lot of uh, really great insights in that episode. But PR just means that you need a way to get written about. So uh, depending what your market is, what city you're in, what town, whatever, you want people uh, to talk about you, to write about you, right? So whether that's the newspaper reviewing you or um, uh, or the news, uh, the local news channel coming and doing a piece on you or uh, bloggers coming in or to be listed on a site like Eater or in the infatuation, you want people to write about you. You want to be able to uh, land on the top 10 list or the top 20 list, right? Top 20 brunch places, top 10 steakhouses, whatever it is. So this starts with uh, with putting together press releases. A PR company is really valuable because of their relationships, the relationships they have with editors 
journalists and publications, right? They're going to be able to pick up the phone or send a quick email and just uh, open the dialogue. And you're going to have a harder time um, getting into those closed rooms, getting behind the closed doors. So I, 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 you don't need a PR company, but I would say it's something to consider if your project is important enough, it's big enough, um, spending a couple thousand dollars a month for the first, let's say, six months of the first year, I think it's a worthwhile investment uh, to make sure you get written about, talked about, um, uh, you know, promoted uh, in, a, in as good a way as possible. Um, the PR push also, I like to talk about influencers because uh, influencer is another form of earned media. Um, in each uh, in each market, in each town, each city around this world, uh, there are influencers uh, that are appropriate to your niche. Um, doing a little bit of research for an hour or two on Instagram or on YouTube uh, will yield a lot of results. You'll figure out who the influencers are that are in your market that would love the thing you're doing that uh, that reach an audience who would love what you do. Um, I, I would I would do I would spend some time to figure out um, who are the influencers worth working with. This is all part of that PR conversation. Conversation. Now, the PR company, if you engage a PR company, they can often broker those conversations. They have relationships built with the influencers. But if you're not going to go that route, um, it's going to be on you. And so don't uh, don't forget about this. So around on the corner, we're coming to the last couple of things that I want to talk about. The, the second to last is about systems, right? Systems and procedures. You need to be putting all of this into place. Uh, so I'm opening a, a couple of places in the fall, and I was on a, a phone call earlier this morning, and uh, the GM was uh, in the process of putting together a vendor list, right? Which makes a ton of sense, right? And and the number of restaurants that I see that don't do this is staggering. Right, so every time you order, okay, we found a tea company we like, we found a glassware company we like, uh, we know who we're gonna be sourcing our steak from or, or our vegetables or whatever, it goes on that vendor list. What's the company? What's the contact? What's the number, right, or the email? Who's the contact? And then what are you getting from that company? So that no matter what you're looking for, you know how to find it quickly so that if, uh, whatever, if the beverage manager gets hit by a bus, we know where we order our Cabernet Sauvignon by the glass from. So we know we can just go and say, oh, we're short on cab. Uh, this is the person. This is how we uh, we place another order for this, right? So this is one of those systems um, that gets put in place, and a lot of people who they're opening their first restaurant don't understand the value of this, right? Understanding... Um, how do we confirm reservations? What's the process, right? What's our training? Uh, what's our training process for our bartenders, for our bussers, for our uh, for a cook? Um, you know, what's the the hiring process for a new manager? You know, what? Wh how do we uh, how do we collect a vendor list? Um, what on and on and on and on? What do we do when the uh, when the health department walks in? What do we do when? A food critic walks in. These are all the systems, and you need to be thinking about what you do in each occasion. And there needs to be a big binder or uh, you know a folder on your desktop or in the cloud uh, that everyone has access to, where all of this stuff exists. Right? It's standard operating procedures. You need to think about the systems and start putting them into place. Maybe not when you're getting through the opening. Right? Some of that stuff should be done as you go along. But once you get through the opening, then take the time to uh, systematize this, to formalize all the stuff that you guys have done and are going to do, right? Now, the last thing I want to talk about is about evolution, right? We put so much weight on a restaurant opening. We put so much attention on just getting to opening night that we forget that a restaurant evolves. It's a living, breathing thing. Our guests change every day and every night. Our staff changes uh, quite frequently. We've got, we got a you know high turnover in the restaurant industry. Um, Tastes change, uh, trends change. The restaurant should evolve. 
So specifically, over your first 90 days, you will learn things by watching the restaurant operate. You will learn things from talking to your guests and seeing what they eat and what they don't eat, by running a PMIX and seeing what they order and what they don't order, um, by seeing where you're making money, where you're losing money, where the waste comes, all of that. The restaurant will evolve. If it's going to be around for 20 years, 30 years, it will evolve over and over and over. I give you permission, though, to let it evolve, maybe even significantly over those first three to six months. Don't fight it. Let it go. Your, your, your people are going to tell you what it wants to be. Your neighborhood, your community, uh, your guests, all of that. You will learn a lot about your restaurant. The, the idea that you had in your head will probably not be the thing that it ends up being, and that's okay. Let yourself off the hook. Let it evolve. It's super, super important. That's the blueprint for for what I want you to think about uh, for a restaurant opening. Again, I'm going to go over them really quickly, right? Validation. That was the first one. Will it fly? Do your market research. Make sure that the concept, the, 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 the neighborhood uh, works for your concept. Build out a pro forma and make sure it's financially uh, feasible. Next, you do need to decide on a concept and a location. Which comes first, chicken or the egg? Uh, I don't know. You're going to have to figure that out, but make sure they match. Make sure it is going to be uh, a solvent business. Next, I I invited you to diversify your revenue streams. Think about all the potential ways that you'll be able to make money in this property. Uh, I want you to build a critical path, right? That one document that outlines everything that needs to happen uh, between the day you decide to open a restaurant and uh, the day that you actually open for paying customers. Then these things, again, happen all together. Construction and design, menu development, staffing, the permits and certifications, all the ordering. That's a big chunk of a couple of months where a lot has to happen all at once. Make sure you know, again, the critical path is going to help you with that. Uh, Then hiring, training, uh, friends and family, and getting up through that soft opening. Then we talked about the PR push, what you need to do to get talked about uh, in the media, right? Whether that's uh, influencers, YouTubers, or uh, you know major newspapers and uh, and news stations. Then I want you to think about the systems that you're putting into place, how you can systematize it so you can eventually remove yourself from the day-to-day. And uh, whoever is working that day knows what to do and how to do it. And if they have any questions, they know where to go to get the answers. And then the last piece was about evolution. Don't be afraid uh, to change, to let the to let the, the the concept evolve over the first, let's say, three to six months. It is going to evolve uh, constantly from year to year to year, but don't be afraid, even in those early days. Yes, it's gotta be good when you open, but what it what it is when it opens isn't necessarily what's gonna be uh, 90 days later or, or 120 days later, whatever that time frame is. Let yourself off the hook and let that evolution happen. Now, that's it. That's the blueprint uh, for opening a restaurant. Again, a lot of questions about it. Uh, I talked to a lot of people about it. I'm opening two different properties this fall, so it's it's on my mind because we're, we're kind of right in the thick of it. Um, as we move forward, uh, if there's anything that you want from me, any, any area you want me to cover, any questions you have, please don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, my email, chip at chipclose.com. That's C-H-I-P. K-L-O-S-E.com. Please reach out. Let me know what you're curious about. Let me know how I can help you. To that uh, point, uh, I want to remind you that I'm uh, taking on four new coaching clients uh, starting this summer. I've already filled two of those spots, so just a couple of spots left. Uh, To get started, I'm giving away a free 
60-minute consultation to anyone who's interested. It's just a chance for both sides to see if it's gonna be a good fit. I've had a bunch of great conversations so far. Some people have been perfect for coaching. We've already uh, gotten into a rhythm. I've set those up. Uh, some people, it wasn't right yet or, or it wasn't a right fit uh, at all, and, and that was fine. It was a great 60-minute conversation. I got to know a little bit more about my listeners. They came away with some value, um, and so there's no pressure. But if you think this might be something you wanna do, right, so like coaching, weekly coaching with me, uh, where I can help you work on different areas of your business. I'm happy to do it. Again, two slots left to be filled. Uh, I'm happy to do that free 60-minute consultation call. Um, if you're on the fence, let me explain a little bit more about what coaching is, at least how I typically handle coaching. So this would be uh, typically one or two calls a week. Uh, each of those calls are an hour long where we cover a variety of areas, right? So we, we typically set an agenda ahead of the call and then we work through the issues in a bunch of different ways. I've helped clients with everything from staffing uh, to menu costing to new menu development uh, to, to restaurant openings uh, to web design, reputation management, SEO, social media, and on and on and on. Literally, there's a lot uh, I, can, I can cover. I offer concrete, actionable advice that comes from the 20 years of experience I have working in one of the busiest biggest markets in the world. Again, if you're curious, simply get in touch and we will set up the call. Chip at chipclose.com. As always, that email is gonna be in the show notes. Thank you so much for tuning in. Listen, if you've got a question, again, don't hesitate to reach out. If there's an area you want me to cover, a specific problem, whatever, reach out. I am an open book. You can uh, you can reach me anytime, any day via my email address. Uh, if, there's, if there's something uh, that I think a lot of people are asking about, I will turn it into an episode. That's it for this week. Stay creative and I will see you next time. Restaurant Strategy is made possible by the generous support of our sponsors as well as our Patreon supporters. A special shout out to all of our gold and platinum members, Ty Hames, Bob and Kate Carpenter, Scott Middleton, Chuck and Denise Close, Stephen and Ann Fagan, Mario D'Amatos, and Christopher Tana. If you want to become a supporter, please go visit patreon.com slash restaurant strategy. Again, the link is in the show notes.